Um, so we're going to start a brand new series that's going to go for the next couple weeks called I Am. And um, I was just thinking, you know, we're, we're starting off the fall. Like, how do we really get into what God has for us? And I think the beginning of all that is really understanding who Jesus is, what he's asking of us, and believing what he says to us. And so I don't think there's any greater opportunity for us to see that than in John 14, which we're going to be there in a little bit. And here's kind of the one thing I want us to hear this morning. Comfort comes from two things. Hearing what Jesus says. And these, if these two things aren't together, then there's no comfort. Hearing what Jesus says and believing it. And so we're going to see um, today in the text, Jesus give comfort to his disciples in a very confusing, very disheartening time. But before we get in there, um, let me pray. Dearly Father, Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that you speak um, through your word today. Lord, that there would be a greater measure of faith in us to trust and believe when you say that you are the way, the truth, and the life, that there is power in believing that, that there's comfort in believing that, that there's peace in believing that. And I pray that today that you would allow us to hear. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had somebody speak something to you that just stirred you? That you're like, man, someone typically in power, someone that you respect and you honor, and they they tell you something about you that you might think is true, but you you struggle believing it. But when they say it, something just like stirs in you. You're like, man, there's, there's this like power of going... Well, maybe I am, maybe I can, believing in the future. And, and before we moved here to plant this church, I was a youth pastor and, and really struggled in youth ministry, mostly, I mean, just if you're new here, I've uh, been in ministry for 17 years, and almost all of it I've felt um, unskilled to do what God has called me to do, almost always. And so as a youth pastor, you know, you're, just, you're trying to do the best you can, and it's like herding cats, and, uh, you know, they, there won't be cats tonight. We're going to keep good, safe control over all of them. Um, but, you know, there's this, even as our, I took over a youth group, there's like 15 or 20 kids, and our, our youth group was big. I mean, like we had grown to over 100 students, and, and, and God was doing some amazing things, and I'm sitting here still doubting what God had called me to do, still doubting, like, you know, am I really doing a good job, and we had just moved into this brand new building at our church. We were, we were doing a kickoff for it. And they did it on Sunday night, which always made me mad when they did stuff on Sunday night because that was my night. Like, church, like, this is, this, is, this is the youth group night. You shouldn't have anything else. Um, you know, that's how cocky and arrogant I was about, or how prideful I was of how important youth ministry was. And so there was this big night, and we were asked, all the youth group, to come to this event. And so we had met up in our space, and we're coming down um, to the center. And we had about 120 kids there, plus our leaders. I mean, we, like, went, the party got there when we got there. Like, we walked into the room. Um, and there's this guy that some of you will know his name, and some of you don't know his name. He is the, the president of our network. He is um, in charge of who we connect to, which is Impact Churches. Um, and he is the lead pastor of Mana Church in Fayetteville, which is a really large church in Fayetteville, and a great leader, great speaker. I mean, he's just like, 
a man you would honor. I mean, he's like, man, you're awesome. And so he, unbeknownst to me, is sitting in the room waiting for the event to start, and he sees all these kind of young people coming in, and he was like, he asked somebody, like, what is that? And he's like, oh, that's the youth group. And at this time, our church was about three times smaller than his, but our youth group was bigger than his. And he got a little frustrated. I didn't know any of this at the moment. He was like, like why, like, why is their youth group, you know, bigger than our youth group? You know, I would like to say it was me, but it really wasn't. Um, and so, like, you know, I'm still kind of struggling with this. Like, I don't, I don't, I've never really felt, I've never been the guy that's like, yes, I am, I am the, per, like, you, you want a person that's the, you know, that's me. Like, I am fully confident, yes. Um, and so the night goes on and, and we go to leave and Michael Fletcher comes over to me after the service and he was like, Hey, come here. And he was like, Hey, I just want to, I just want to tell you something. He said, um, your youth group is the best youth group in our network. He said, but we're coming for you. Um, like we're, we're gonna make some changes. And, 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 and it wasn't, it wasn't this like aha moment. It wasn't like anything big, but like when he spoke, this encouragement to me, it did something in me. Like there was a confidence that came because this man who I admire is, is seeing something in me and going, man, that's really awesome. Like, that's really cool. Um, and the power of other of hearing and believing can comfort us. And so the tension that we're going to deal with today is that you will follow a way, you will live a truth, and you will have a life, but will it be the way, will it be the truth, and will it be the life that God has called you to? And that's the tension that we live in. And so before we get into John 14, which we're going to be in 1 through 12, if you want to get your Bibles, it's also going to be on the screen, I just want to... I want to I think sometimes when we, we hear a text, even if we know kind of where it's at, we forget what comes before it. And so I just want to give you kind of a, a why this is a bigger deal than it is, than we would think if we just only read verses 1 through 12. So leading up to this, which I think four or five weeks ago I preached out of uh, John 13, 1 through 20, where Jesus washed the feet. I mean, like this is, this is going to his death. This is a three or, I mean, like really, if you've got some time, like, 13 through 17 are some amazing chapters in John. There's so much stuff that's, that God is getting ready to speak because these are, these are like kind of some of his last words for his people. And so you have this foot washing, which we've talked about already, but then you have these three other things that it's really can be really upsetting. So you have the traitor leave. <laughs> so you have Judas, which has been prophesied over. You had the conversation. You had the disciples going, who is it? I don't, I don't know who it is. And, and you have Judas leave to go betray Jesus. Um, you have Jesus telling them plainly, even though he had already told them um, about him leaving, but he told them plainly, I am leaving for good. That's in John 13, 33. And then you have Jesus tell the leader of the disciples, Peter, that you're, he's going to deny him three times. Can you imagine one of the faithful 12 has been shown to be a traitor and is going to do his work led by Satan. You have Jesus going, hey, guys, we've had a great run, but I'm leaving. 
And then you have Jesus, and I don't know how the other guys felt, uh, but you have Jesus like point out your, the all-star, the, the ringleader, and go, hey, you know, as much as you say you're going to be with me, you are going to deny me three times within 24 hours. Like, you're going to do this. And he's like, oh, no, 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 I'm going to die for you, with you. And so these are what's happening. And so another thing to kind of take into account as we're reading this, because this is a text that is for the world, but this is a text that he's speaking solely to his disciples. This isn't one of those, you know, feeding the 5,000 and a sermon on the mount. This is something he is telling to his disciples to comfort them. And uh, we'll pick it up in verse 1. So you have all this. I mean, I'm sure, can you imagine the anxiety? Can you imagine, like, what have we been doing? Like, part of them are waiting for his kingdom to be set up. They're waiting for the Roman Empire to be demolished. They're waiting for Jesus to take his role as leader and king of the earthly world. And, And two of them are fighting, jockeying for position on his right and his left. Like, we want to be your man. And... And he's like, I'm leaving. Because they didn't get what's going to happen. So everything that we're going to look at today is going to specifically be targeting their comfort. And you're like, I get why they need comfort, because all of these things are going on. In verse 1, it says, let not your hearts be troubled. (laughs) Absolutely. Like there's a lot of troubling going on inside of, me, inside of them. And it says, believe in God, believe also in me. And what, what he's getting ready to say is, is to their and for their comfort. It says in verse 2, it says, in my father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I would not have told you, <clears throat> If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. So he's telling, I'm leaving, but look, my leaving has purpose and I'm going to go and prepare a place. And something that we need to know, I think sometimes, and I read lots of commentaries this week where, you know, they kind of deal with this idea. We, We think Jesus going to prepare a place He was a carpenter, of course. He's going to heaven, and he's been working. There must be lots of rooms, because for the last 2,000 years, he's been preparing this big house for us to go live. He's been working night and day, you know, getting your room ready, uh, having everything that you need for your room. And and I I just want to tell you that, like, that's not what's happening. Because in other places, it says that, that... your place prepared before the beginning of time. So what Jesus is leading them to is he's not preparing the house. He's preparing the way to the house. He's making this for them. There was, the house, God's house wasn't broken. Jesus didn't need to go up there and get it ready. He's preparing the way so that you can get into the house. In verse 4. It says, and you know the way. Now, this is, I love when Jesus makes statements or asks questions that he knows his disciples have no clue what's going on. In verse 4, it says, and you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas, the doubter, Thomas, who later on is going to be like, unless I see Jesus, unless he comes over to me and I touch his scars and see him physically, I will not believe. This is Thomas, doubting Thomas. 
And Thomas is going, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? He's like, you just told us to follow, but we have no idea. We thought you were staying here. Up until a little bit ago, we didn't know for sure that you were leaving. And now we know that you're leaving. In verse 6, it says, Jesus said to him, and this is the critical part, is that he's saying, hey, you know the way, and he, he puts the tension in them to go, oh, oh, we don't know where you're going, we don't know the way, and he's getting ready to speak the line that a lot of us have heard for decades. You, you may even have this verse memorized. In verse 6, it says, And Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he, he's almost like, here you go, Thomas. You didn't know which way it was. Here is the way. I am the way. And it's getting ready to get a little interesting. Because Philip is going to get in there and he's going to add his confusion to the mix on who the Father is. And Jesus, Jesus is about clarifying because in clarity we have comfort. Because in his words we have comfort. He's saying, hey, if you want your hearts not to be troubled, you have to understand this, that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks after this is literally take those and look at them. What does it mean for him to be the way? What does it mean for him to be the truth? What does it mean for him to be the life And what are the implications for us? Because I truly believe that if we believe this, our lives would look different. There would be more peace. Because later on in 14, he says, my peace I give to you, not as the world. But he's like, I'm going to give you a peace that you don't have access to right now. And that's in trusting and believing. Verse 7, it says, if you know me, you would have known my father also. And remember, this is, this is, he's talking to the guys that have spent the last three years with him every moment, seeing the miracles, hearing the teaching, and they're confused. So it's okay. I, I truly believe God's okay with your confusion. As long as that confusion is leading you to wanting and desiring understanding. In verse 8. See, we don't want to just pick on Thomas. Where Thomas is like, we don't know where you're going. In verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. There was this Old Testament. It was like, I don't know if you all remember. Moses is like, God said, I'm going to show myself to you. And he was like, Go out here and wait. And, 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 and he only got to see kind of the, the back end. And so the disciples are saying, if you show us the Father, if we see the Father, that will be enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I mean, he this whole time is like, look, and this is what he's trying to tell us. And this is why what he says is really important. He's saying, hey, if you've seen me. If you've experienced me, if you've heard me, if you've seen the healing, you have seen the father. Which. 
is a big deal. This is why we cannot negate the fact that Jesus wasn't a good teacher. He wasn't just a good moral standard for us to live to. He is the incarnate God, the Father, living among us. He is literally saying, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And that's why what he says, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that's why there's validity, which he's going to explain this in just a second. In verse 10, it says, you do not believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. That's a question. He says, these words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. He's saying, look, it's not me. You're seeing the Father working through me. Verse 11. It says, believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe in account of the works themselves. He's saying, look, look, if you're struggling with it, the Bible has for generations told you what the Messiah would do, how he would live, where he would be born, what miracles he would do. And he's saying, if you're struggling, believing it, just looking at me, trust in what I have done and what the Father has done through me. Trust in that. And then he says something that's just crazy. And I think there, there's been a, a struggle with this text for a long time. In verse 12, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Action. And let me tell you here, when we talk about belief, belief isn't an acknowledgement. Belief isn't regurgitation. Belief is always movement. Because if you believe in something, you get in it and go with it. Because I can say, I don't know if y'all, uh, I've used this illustration before about um, and I don't know if it was a true event or not. It doesn't matter. There's a tightrope walker. And he had a tightrope uh, across the Grand Canyon. And they had this big event. And all these people came out to, to see him do this. Mostly, kind of like NASCAR, they're waiting for him to fall off the wire. Um, than him to really cross it. And he goes out there, has a large crowd. And he was like, do you believe that I can cross this wire? And they don't care what they believe because they want to see him do it. Or fall off of it. And they're like, yeah. And, you know, of course, he goes, steps on the wire and goes across and comes back. And they're like, yes. And he's like, do you believe that I can push a wheelbarrow across the line and come back? And they're like, they don't care, again, whether they believe or not, but they want to see it happen. And so they're like, yes. Uh, and, of course, he gets out there and he puts the wheelbarrow on there and he pushes it across and he comes back. And he, said, he comes back on the other side and he says, do you guys believe that I can put a man in this wheelbarrow and push him across and bring him back? And they're like, because they think it's part of the show. They think he, he has some dummy that's going to get in that wheelbarrow and go across. And they're like, yes. And he's like, who will get in? And that, that's hilarious because you're like, I ain't, ain't nobody getting in. <laughs> like, I don't care who he is or if I'm in a barrel or whatever. Not going over the falls. And they literally, that, that's ours. 
Our faith in Jesus is that we cannot communicate. We cannot live in the place of going, yes, we believe. But the moment that belief means action, we sit on the sidelines. We got to get in that wheelbarrow and say, God, I trust you because the peace isn't even in our ability. And that beauty of that illustration, it was the tightrope walker that would get you from one side to the other, not you. He didn't ask somebody else to come into his place and do his work. He just asked you to trust him, which is what the gospel says. And that's where this comfort comes from, is that God is saying to us, If I am the way, then live it. If I am the truth, then believe it. And if I am the life, take it. John 10.10, before this, he said, you know, I come to give you life and life abundantly. If we're not living in the abundant life, it is not because it isn't offered to us. It's because we're not trusting it. And I don't mean, let let me tell you. If you're first Sunday here, I'm not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel guy. I believe, you know, that, that we can um, be as faithful and pure to God and things happen to us. We're in a sinful world. You know, car accidents, cancer, things happen. And that is not a determination on your belief. So I'm not saying, hey, the life, an abundant life, is possessions. It is things. It is, it is peace. And it is joy in the midst of that. It's the getting in the wheelbarrow and being like, I trust you. And having to literally not be like, I'm not anxious about him at all because I, he is the father. And, and all of the disciples understood the power and the glory and the holiness of the father. And what Jesus is saying is, me, if you trust me, then you will experience this by living in it. Our beliefs will always move us to action. It will, always. We cannot live outside of that action. We cannot live in this place. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not prophesying because I'm not a prophet. It is going to get more difficult in the United States for you to believe truly who Jesus is. Because that belief makes you live in action. It's going to get more difficult for us in this country. Because if you've read Revelation, like, things don't get better. I mean, there might be seasons of better, but at some point, things are going to get worse. And at some point in the United States, the freedoms that we exist right now won't be there. Or the consequence of you standing in the truth of God is going to cost you. It's going to happen. And let me tell you, and that may make you fearful for the American church. Look at China. Look at Pakistan. Look at all these places that it is, it is a death sentence or it is a poverty sentence for you to claim the name of Jesus. And those are seeing the disciple conversion rate grow. Because... When you're forced to walk in and show who you are in Jesus, it's real belief. There's a danger because we can stand in here and no one, I can go into coffee shops, you know, I can have my Bible out, I can talk about it. Now, people may not like that, but like no one's going to behead me. 
you know, they may do it on the Internet, but, you know, they're not going to do it in real life. It's not going to happen. But our comfort is going to come there. And so here, here's where I want to go. Here's where I want us to land. So if, if comfort comes from those two things, hearing what Jesus is saying and believing them, if that is so, my question is this morning, is your heart troubled? And you're like, well, what does that mean? Like, are you stressed right now? And I'm sorry about this light confession. I went to go get a ladder earlier and I got distracted. That one light's not supposed to be pointing over there anyway. I just I've felt so bad for you this whole time. I almost went over there and fixed it a minute ago, but I didn't. Um, so apologize. Two services. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so great thing is, is that won't be like that for second service. So here's the thing. Is your heart troubled? Are you living in this anxious? And I'm not talking about, you know, there, there's clinical depression. You know, there, there's things that go on in our life that we can't control. That's not just like, hey, I'm going to cheer up and be out of this. But like, are we living in this anxious place where our heart's troubled about even who Jesus is and, and what he means to us? Are, are we in that place? Are you there? My next question is, where should you go? <laughs> if you feel that way, and let me just tell you, the self, self-help industry is making bukus of money. You know why? Because if there was a real other way other than Jesus, self-help industry would end because they would find the solution and they would give it to you and you would be better. It's not working. There's another book next week. There's another diet. There's another pill. There's another something that's going to make your life better when the truth is the only thing, the way, the truth, and the life. The only place that we're going to have peace in the midst of chaos is Jesus. Remember, and, and this is a big thing, when, when Jesus said, I will come to you, he's not saying, hey, I'm going to come and I'm going to bring you to heaven, which he kind of is, but listen to what he's saying. He said, I will come again. He will return. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I know some of us are like, we, would, we want him to return. Like we're ready. Why, did, why is he not here already? Because he is patient and he is long-suffering and he desires for more to know him and if you have a family member that doesn't know jesus if you have a friend or a co-worker that doesn't know jesus thank the lord that he hasn't returned and get activated to change that because we have the greatest cause that people can get behind in the world it's here. And, and Jesus is saying, I'm going to bring them to myself. So when he comes again, it's not just the place that we're going to go. It's good. It, it is literally, we're going to be with him. Now, Michael Fletcher is a great man. I saw him yesterday. And I'd like for him to say more encouraging things about me. Always. But he's just a man. His words, although they encourage me, won't change me. Jesus, on the other hand, and these words that have been around for 2,000 years, they have the power to bring life where there wasn't. They have the power to change me. 
And here, here's an, another question I want to, us to wrestle with. Like, so if your heart's troubled, look to the right place. Are you struggling with your mission? Here's what he's saying. Look, in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And I think I got sidetracked on this second part. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. And he tells us a little bit later that he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And the same power, Romans 8, that raised Jesus from the dead is going to be in us to give life to our mortal bodies. That. So if you're struggling with your mission, here's Jesus saying, if you trust and believe in me and you know me, I'm going to give you this power source that's above you, that is bigger than you, that is really the only true source, and you're going to do greater works than me. And, and, and there's a lot, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to unpack that, but let me just tell you, if you're like, well, I don't know if I'm going to raise it, Ed, I don't know if I'm going to do this, but he said this before the cross. He hadn't gone to the cross. He hadn't paid the penalty he hadn't been the sacrificial lamb for us to believe in at this point. The people believing at this moment are believing in what will happen. See, we get to preach and we get to see the miracle that Jesus didn't see at this moment because there was no, there was no resurrection yet. And so the greater works that we get to do, we literally get to walk around and, and get to see life. We don't do it. Like it isn't us. It isn't our words. It's the, if someone changes, it's the gospel working in them. But we get to participate in a greater work than these. Because look, if you've, if you've, if you've led someone, if you've encouraged someone, and, and, the, and life has changed because of that, if you've discipled someone and, and seen that happen, that's the greater works. Here, here's the mission. And let me, let me tell you, a little disclaimer, not disclaimer, but um, two services is one of the, I don't know how many pastors I've talked to over the last like four months as we've you know, picked a date. Um, it's one of the hardest things to do. It just is. It's, you know, we were all together in one room and we're like here. And let me just tell you, why we're settling with discomfort, why we're taking a risk is because there's people in a city this is why we exist. There's people in the city that don't know Jesus. There's people in the city that if Jesus returned, they would not be bowing a knee willingly to worship Him as Lord and Savior. And our job is making room for those people in this church that you, hear me clearly on this, that you're actively going to get to participate and bringing life to. Because you want to know where your mission field is? Well, God put you there. Acts 17, he knows all the places that you're going to live. He, he's, put, he's putting you in that house. And maybe you don't like your neighbors. And you're like, he put me beside Satan. And like, I don't know why he did that. Look, because he put you beside Satan because he's not Satan. Or she's not Satan. He put you beside them because God's going to give you an opportunity to see that change. You know, you may be at work going, why am I in this job that I don't find purpose in? Our purpose is not in your bank account. What you'll discover 
is that there's no magic number. There's no magic possession. There's no magic position that is ever going to satisfy you. And our next generation knows that. They want significance more than they want position or title. They want to do something that matters because at the end of our life, none of that stuff will matter. None of it's going with you. I mean, you could put it in your casket like the, you know, the Egyptians did, but what happens when we unlock that tomb? It's still there. Nothing's going with you. The treasure that we have access to is the souls of man. That's the thing that lasts forever. There's a guy named Thomas Akempis. may have mispronounced that. Uh, he was a guy who lived in the 1300s and 1400s, and he wrote this about this text, and some of it's in Old English, so forgive me in advance. And there's a word that I had to look up because we don't use it anymore. I'll tell you what the meaning is, even if you know it. I didn't. He wrote this. He said, follow thou me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which thou must follow. The truth which thou must believe. The life that thou which must hope. I am the inviolable. Which I may have mispronounced that. It means never to be broken. Way. I am the infallible truth. The never ending life. I am the straightest way. The sovereign truth. The life true. Life blessed. And life uncreated. That is our hope. He is that. And I, I just... Ask you. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up, and and we're 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 going to just spend a few minutes preparing ourselves, because you know I say this all the time, and we're not going to stop doing some things because we're going to two services. I believe right now there's a tension in us because here's what's going on in, in, inside of you: either you don't know Jesus, and there's there's a longing to know Him, which that can happen right now. Or there's a tension because you are a son or daughter and you're not here. He isn't your way. He isn't your truth and he isn't your life in the way you're living. In what you're doing. In what you're saying, what you're watching. He isn't that thing. And there's a tension when we desire to be this. We desire to be what He's called us to be. And when our life doesn't match. And, and so the, the tension that I want us to deal with over the next three or four weeks is that if He is, and I only say if for the benefit of those in this room that might not agree with me, if He is, then there is no option for us to choose another way, to believe another truth, or to have another life. He is that. And, and we want to dig into that. Because at the end of this. My comfort for you. Because if you get that. If you get it. If you understand. And it influences the way you live. And what you do. It will influence those around you. Because I'm telling you. When he takes over you. When that belief moves into action. That he is the way. Meaning everything that I do. Everywhere I go. Who I am. He is the way, the truth, and life. It changes us. And when the gospel changes us, we cannot help 
But because he says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Meaning we're going to wash feet, and I don't mean literally. But we're going to humbly serve our city and those around us. Meaning that we're going to love our unbelieving spouse, that we're going to love our unbelieving family, and we're going to show them that Jesus, by our life, is the way, is the truth, and is the life. And as we close, I want you to wrestle with that. As we worship, if he's not, then the beauty is right now, even before you pray a word, he understands what's going on inside of you. And all you have to do is to put words to go, God, it may mean as simple as I need you. I don't know you. I I remember 25 years ago when I said yes to Jesus for the first time. Like I was clueless. I was in this this uh, I was in a cabin. I was at a camp, and I got on a knee and I was with um, the leader, and I was desperate for Jesus. And I just I I was I was at a place that there was nothing else that mattered. I had nowhere else to go. I, I I needed something to change in me. And in that moment. Even though I'd been in church my entire life, in that moment, I chose to believe that he was the way, the truth, and the life for me. And he changed my life. And I'm not perfect. If you're around me, you know, like God's still working on me. Like he's still working on you. But I'm his. And so just settle that here have the conversation inside of you. The beauty of this is we're going to have prayer people up front. And I know you, you see them every week and you're like, oh, I don't want to. Look, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting something to change. So if you've always sat in your seat when you feel that longing to go get prayer, get up out of your seat and say, look, be honest, be raw. I need help. I need Jesus. And ask. Let's pray. Jesus, you are. I I just declare that. You are the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other. And Lord, we right now rebuke and repent of our choice of choosing other ways and choosing other truths and choosing other lives and seeing what happens from that. Lord, we right now trust you. That your way and your truth and your life leads to my joy, leads to my peace, leads to a life that at the end of it, I'll be glad that I lived it. And so, Lord, you know what needs to happen right here. You know what in each individual is going on. And, Lord, I pray that you, just like you did with your disciples in this text, that you bring comfort where there's confusion, that you bring peace where there's anxiety, or that you bring joy where there is none. And so, Lord, as we worship you, Lord, I pray that our hearts would connect not to an idea, not to an institution, but that our hearts would connect to a person, to Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for the life that you offer us. And we choose you today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.